0: Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world.
1: Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect. Exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith the salvation of your souls. I wonder what kinds of trials, what grief, what challenges and struggles come to mind as you hear Peter's words this evening part of my story is kind of obvious, isn't it? It goes with the wheelchair territory. But I know that suffering and trials and struggles come in all shapes and sizes. And they're not limited to ones that you can see on the outside. And they're not limited to old people like me either. They come at any time and in any place and in all sorts of ways. But one of the gifts that the premature and kind of ongoing loss of physical capacity has brought into my life has been my utter reliance on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This amazing thing that he has done for us. You know, nobody had been resurrected before. Everybody knew it didn't happen. And yet, in his death, Jesus threw himself into the arms of the Father and won for us, our resurrection through his own and with that new life with that resurrection life comes eternity comes new creation comes a new heaven and a new earth and with that we know that everything will finally be set to rights. I wonder what it is that you long for in a crazy, mixed-up world to be set to rights. One small part of that for me is a new resurrection body. Ha! Who would have guessed, huh? And that's going to be me. I'm not going to become invisible. I'm not going to become somebody else. I will still be me. But I will be healed and whole and have a Holy Spirit-empowered body capable of all the things that are fitting in that new life. And I have this kind of quirky kind of hope that might, that might include a capacity to dance and to play tennis, maybe even to wear high heels sometimes, or maybe do all three at once, which will be kind of interesting. You'll know me when you see me. <laughs> But here and now that means that I get to live into the hope, the truth of the Gospel. Day by day, this is as surely true now as it will be then. And I can live into that. And on a good day, That means with all my heart and with all my soul and whatever strength God chooses to give me, I can take up the privilege of playing my part in his kingdom coming now as it is in heaven. And on a bad day when I got nothing and I feel totally overwhelmed, I can still place my trust in Jesus Christ, in all his love and compassion and mercy towards me, and trust that he will bring me safely home. What a saviour. What a hope.
0: me free, Hallelujah! Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every on, Let's stand. Let's worship the One who gives us living hope
2: today and forevermore. The One who has defeated
0: death. Come on, lift your hands.
2: Lift your voices. Let's give Him praise.
0: Hallelujah! Praise the One who Hallelujah! Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. This salvation in Your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. every chair. this salvation in your name Jesus Christ my living hope.
2: Jesus, we declare that you are the living one. You went through death and you came out the other side alive. You have defeated sin and death once and for all. You've overcome the grave. And Jesus, we thank you that you give each one of us a way to participate with you, to go through death and to come out alive to know eternal life, to know the hope of heaven here on earth today and for all of eternity. Father, tonight, would you fill our hearts with your living hope? Father, would you give us strength to endure the trials that we face here on earth? God, would you turn our face towards heaven that we might be a people that live with eternity in sight. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please grab a seat. As Lauren said, we're starting a new uh, series tonight, but just before I get into that, can you just put your hands together and just thank Anne for coming uh, tonight and sharing with us. I, uh, I love listening to Anne share her story, to share Jesus' story, and the way that they've uh, weaved together so powerfully, and I just believe it's so powerful for us, and you do it with so much grace, And so thank you. New series, First Peter, uh, tonight, we're calling it Live Different, because Peter is uh, the disciple Peter. The Apostle Peter is is writing a letter to churches just like us scattered throughout the Roman Empire and he's teaching us, he's challenging us, he's correcting us at times how to live differently to the culture around us. And so I want to encourage you over these next few weeks to be reading through this ancient letter written to churches just like us and just be asking God, how is it that you want me to live different to the culture that's around me? And Tonight, as I kick off this series, I'm just going to share from those first nine verses that Ann read for us before, and I want to ask you a question. Well, what are you hoping for in the second half of this year? What is it that you're hoping for in the second half of this year? You know, I'm kind of hoping that either Susan or the kids for my birthday, for Father's Day, maybe even for Christmas, will buy me a jet ski. You know, I've been hoping for that uh, for some years now, but I kind of lose hope every year because I go looking in Susan's secret hiding place where she hides the presents, and instead of finding a 150-horsepower jet ski, I find my 150th blue shirt. So if you're sick of my blue shirts, just... uh, Blame my, my wife who won't buy me a jet ski. You know, I, I I'm hoping that someday, someone soon, will invent a pizza that the more of it you eat, the skinnier you get. Come on, who'd like a pizza you know, like that? I love pizza. I've just been on holidays for two weeks. I've eaten about 75 pizzas, and I've put on you know, four and a half kilos in the space of two weeks. I'm kind of losing hope that someone is going to you know, invent a pizza like that. You know, I hope that all of my kids choose partners that I actually like. I mean, I'm going to spend time with them. I'm going to spend holidays with them I sit around the table with them. And thankfully, the hope is still alive in my heart because my son, as you heard, engaged, uh, proposed uh, to Eliza uh, on Lake Wanaka at sunrise. He's romantic, just like his dad. <laughs> she said yes, and we like her. That's good to have you. Where is she? In the family, uh, Lies. Hope's still alive. You know, when we, we talk about hope, we, we kind of talk about it as if it's our desired outcome. It's our preference. It's kind of really wishful thinking. Sometimes it'll happen, sometimes it won't happen, but we're never quite too sure because it's out of our control. That's the way we would use the word hope. And as you're thinking of what you're hoping for in the second half of the year, I'll guarantee there's a whole bunch of things that are really just wishful thinking, desired outcomes, they're your preferences. But when Peter uses the word hope in his letter 2,000 years ago, he had a completely different understanding of the word. When he says in verse uh, 3 and 4, Praise be. To the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade, which is kept in heaven for you. He's talking about a hope that is not wishful thinking. It's not just a desired outcome, but it's a confident hope. It's a certain hope because it's anchored in an event that's already happened. It's anchored in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Peter saw it with his own two eyes. But he wasn't the only one that saw it. 500 different people saw the resurrected Jesus over a six-week period. And, And Peter was one of 11 disciples that were left who actually saw the resurrected Jesus. And they gave the rest of their lives from that point on to preaching about the resurrected Jesus, even though it cost them their lives. If they knew it was a hoax, that would have been a good point as they were getting nailed to a cross upside down to say, hey, just kidding, everybody. And over the last 2,000 years, millions of people just like you and me and many others uh, around the world that are worshipping Jesus right now have got a testimony of the risen Jesus changing their, their lives. It's a certain hope. It's not the kind of hope, the hope of heaven It's not like hoping for a Harley for your birthday. It's a certain hope. It's a confident hope. Because it's anchored in a historical event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it's also a living hope. It's not a hope that will die. It's not a hope that you can lose. It's not a hope that will peter out over time. It's a living hope. Because Jesus Christ is alive forevermore and because Jesus is alive, if you've got faith in him, if your hope is in him, then your hope will always be alive. If you've got hope in other things, if you're putting your trust and your faith in other things, they will perish, they will spoil, they will fade. But Jesus, the living king of the universe, will never die. He's alive forevermore and so the hope that Peter is talking about in this passage, it's a certain hope, it's a confident hope and it is a living hope and thankfully it's a hope for every single one of us today. This letter, we're going to look at over the next eight weeks, Uh, 1st Peter, it's the 1st Peter of letter, uh, 1st letter of Peter even and it's it's a general pastoral letter. Most of the letters in the New Testament are written to a specific church about a specific issue or several specific issues. That's not true with First Peter. There's only a couple of them in the New Testament that are written to the church at large, to churches scattered, you know, in this case throughout uh, the Roman Empire. But it's written to churches like us. It's written to the church. And so this hope that Peter talks about is a hope for us today who have faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's hope for strangers in this world. Let me just read these first couple of verses again. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, he's the writer of the letter, to God's elect, everyone say elect, exiles, everyone say exiles, Elect and exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Two important words, I just want to unpack a little bit in there. Elect. It's actually become a really contentious word, a, really, uh, a word that's argued a lot about, a really confusing word and it's actually become a really frightening word. Am I one of God's elect? Am I one of God's chosen? Am I going to to make it to heaven? Am I elected by God? It was never intended to be a frightening word. It was actually supposed to be an encouraging word. Peter is writing an encouraging letter to God's elect. Let me give you my understanding of God's election. If you are here tonight and you have faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, You are one of God's elect. If you're here tonight and you've got some big questions about faith, you know, you're just hanging out at church, just trying to work out who Jesus is, and you're so welcome here to do that, Just just keep coming. Please keep coming. Big questions. We love everyone walking through these doors. Big questions, big doubts. But at some point in the future, if the Holy Spirit opens your eyes and deposits faith in your heart, and you put your faith, you repent, and put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, then you too are one of God's elect. It says you've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. Faith didn't accidentally happen to you. You, you didn't first choose God, he first Chose you and to work in your heart and your mind to lead you to salvation of faith. I want you to think for a minute. This this is an encouraging word. Just think for a minute. How how many people, you know, in hindsight that you've either had to live with, work with, you know, befriend at school, sit next to at uni, whatever, work in a, a group together, you wouldn't choose to be near them, to work with them, to have a relationship with them if you had the foreknowledge of how much they would hurt you, of how much pain they would cause you. We've all got some people in our lives that we wouldn't choose if we knew the pain they were going to cause. But God the Father knew how much you were going to sin against Him, knew how much you'd ignore Him, Knew how much you'd grieve his heart, and yet he chose you anyway. It's good news. And he says to the elect, the exiles scattered throughout this part of what's now modern-day Turkey. A whole bunch of cities of churches through modern-day Turkey. And this word exile... It actually goes back to this Old Testament picture of when the people of Israel were living in Babylon as captives. They were exiles. They were living in Babylon, but their heart was in Jerusalem. Another word that gets translated in this letter for for this uh, Greek word is sojourner. It's kind of like you're on a journey just passing through, but you don't really live here. Another word that another translation uses is pilgrims of the dispersion in the King James. Pilgrims of the dispersion. It means you're a pilgrim passing through, you've spread to a place that's not really your home. But I love the way that the NASB actually translates this word. And it says to those who reside as strangers in this world. See what? Peter is getting at, is if you have faith in Christ, you might live in the Roman Empire, but Rome is not your home. You're a citizen of heaven. And why that's really important is because you are called not to live according to the culture of the Roman Empire. You're called to live according to the culture of the kingdom of heaven. And for us today, it means if we are believers, if we are the elect, if we have faith in Jesus Christ, if we've been chosen according to his foreknowledge, it says we've been chosen according to his foreknowledge to be obedient to Jesus. Not to do whatever we like, not just to go with the flow of the culture, but to be obedient to Jesus. That's why he, he chose you. And so Peter is saying to us, this is not our home. We're not just to live according to the cultures of this great nation that we live in. You're citizens of heaven. You're called to live differently. You're called to live according to the values of the kingdom of heaven. And that makes you a stranger. Put your hand up if you're sitting next to someone who's a little bit strange. Or yeah. <laughs> most of you sitting next to someone that's a little bit strange. Some people, some people are a little bit strange. Some people, particularly at this service actually, some people dress strange. I mean, I actually think if you're not wearing a blue shirt, you're dressed strange tonight. If you're wearing a shirt with a pattern on it, That's really strange. Why you'd want to wear a bat, and I don't know. Some people dress strange. Some people eat strange. My wife, for as long as I've known her, has eaten McDonald's chips dipped in a chocolate sundae. That's how she eats chips. Anybody else do that? Oh, you're all strange. (laughs) That's just weird. Some people dance strange. That's me. I can't move my body to to music. You know, Anne is hoping that in heaven, you know, she'll she'll get to dance. As the director of the Queensland Baptist movement, I'm trying to bring back the old Baptist tradition that Baptists don't dance. Because I'm terrible at, at dancing. Some people talk strange. And this younger generation I've learned talks really strange. I was up at YC. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, and they gave me a vocab test on a whole bunch of words that you use. I got zero out of eight. I, I knew none of them, and they made no sense. They were strange. Tell me, what is a derp? <laughs> That's a fool. I actually quite like that one, you derp. <laughs> what about I-Y-K-Y-K? Come on, say it with me. If you know, you know. Never heard of it before in my life. What if you've got a bit of riz? (laughs) What are you laughing at? (laughs) Apparently I got none. (laughs) It means you got charisma. This is one of my personal favorites. That's really bussin'. (laughs) I was sure it had something to do with transportation. Uh, Apparently it's really tasty food or something's really, really good. It's bussin'. I'm not sure if you're allowed to put dude on the end or what. but Finner, that's just a dumb one. Finner, like you're planning a, a project. Just finish the jolly word, all right? It's finish, not finner. Pov. <laughs> Apparently that's point of view. When I was a kid at school, if you were pov, it meant <laughs> you had nothing to eat. I haven't been able to understand that one on social media for weeks, but anyway. Some people dress strange, some people eat strange, some people dance strange, some people talk strange. As believers, Peter's actually saying, you're supposed to be a little bit strange. But what I want to encourage this generation with, let's be strange. I I want to hold your attention tonight. I want you to stay with me. Don't keep sharing dumb words. Stay with me. Let's be strange about the right things. Have a listen to what was strange about the church in the first century. This is in an historical letter between a couple of Greek dudes who were just uh, sort of reflecting on what was different about Christians. All right, just read it as it comes up on the screen. It says, Christians are indistinguishable from other men, either by nationality, language, or customs. They do not inhabit separate cities of their own or speak a strange dialect or follow some outlandish way of life. With regard to dress, food, and manner of life in general, they follow the customs of whatever city they happen to be living in, whether it's Greek or foreign, and yet there's something extraordinary about their lives. They live in their own countries as though they were only passing through. They play their full role as citizens, but labor under all the disabilities of aliens. Any country can be their homeland, but for them their homeland, wherever it may be, is a foreign country. Like others, they marry and have children, but they do not expose them. They share their meals, but not their wives. They live in the flesh, but they're not governed by the desires of the flesh. They pass their days upon earth, but they are citizens of heaven. Christians in churches just like us, 2,000 years ago, were strange. Not because of the way they dressed, not because of what they ate, not because of the way they talked. They were strange because of the way they spent their money and they were incredibly generous and they were strange because they reserved sex for marriage alone. It made them really strange. You see, the the Roman culture was a culture of materialism and cruelness. It was dog-eat-dog. You looked after your own and you did not care about anyone else. There was no welfare. But the Christians came along and they were radically generous. They were hospitable to all. They welcomed all and they gave generously of their possessions to bless people. In fact, if you read the book of Acts, it was one of the first things that was noticed about this new group of people called the church, of all the things that they did, one of the things that was noticed was a radical generosity. They shared their possessions. They didn't consider anything they, they owned just to be theirs, but they gave to anyone as they had need. It was always one of the things that people noticed was strange about the church. I just want to ask you tonight, are people noticing your radical generosity? Are people around you looking at your life and going, they are so generous, they are so hospitable, they share so generously, they're so willing to give to see others blessed? I want to give you a little warning, all right? In in three weeks' time, I'm going to preach here again at 5 p.m., I'm going to preach on the principle of tithing. And some of you are going, what? Some of you are going, I don't want to come that night. Some of you are going, I don't want to bring my friend that night. That's fine. That's why I'm warning you. Three weeks' time, I'm going to talk about the principle of tithing. Because I believe God is calling his church to a rad- He's always called his church to a radical generosity. And right now, as a church, the vision God has given us is actually bigger than the giving that we're giving. I just believe God wants to see his vision fulfilled. And I believe he's going to release a generosity through his people that people notice. So they actually looked at the early church. And what they saw was that they were promiscuous with their money, but they were not promiscuous with their bodies. And once again, that was different to the culture. The culture of Rome was a sexually permissive culture. I know some of you think that nobody had sex 20 years ago, but 2,000 years ago in the Roman Empire, it was a very sexually permissive culture. It was normal for men to have sex slaves to satisfy their desires. It was normal for you know, all sorts of sexual parties to happen. but not to the Christians. They were different. They were strange. They reserved sex for their spouse alone, and it made them strange. I tell you, we live in a sexually permissive culture today, and it's getting more and more permissive. You see, what, what you can watch on just mainstream telly tonight at normal hours, you know, you had to go and, you know, steal, you know, from some bloke at school's dad's workshop who'd got it from some pawn shop 40 years ago. Our culture is becoming more and more sexually permissive. And I wonder if some of us are allowing the culture to creep into our lives. We're, we're watching some content that is acceptable to our culture, but it's displeasing to Christ and is damaging to your soul. I wonder if some of us are talking about other people sexually in a way that is acceptable to our culture. Everyone's doing it. But it's displeasing to Jesus and it's damaging to your soul. And I wonder if some of us tonight where... Actually, sleeping with someone who's not our spouse. And it's acceptable to our culture. But it's always been displeasing to Jesus and damaging to your soul. We're called to be a little bit strange. Now, we're starting a new 5 p.m. service, as Lauren said at the beginning, where. Uh, it's just a change of time. But I actually wonder if some of us tonight, it's actually one of those line in the sand moments where it's also a change of behavior. It's a change of attitude. It's a change to be different. The Bible uses the word repent to actually turn around from what we're doing and to live differently, to live a life that is pleasing to Christ. There's hope for those that are a little bit strange. There's hope for strangers in this world. You might be a little bit strange to the people in the culture around you, but you're known in heaven. God knows you. You're not strange to him. There's hope for the strangers in this world and there's also hope for the screw ups in this world. I'm not sure, I've preached this three times today, I'm still not sure if you're allowed to use that word in church, but I actually think it describes how we feel sometimes really well. First Peter, first 3, it says, praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, next four words, in his great mercy. Because of his great mercy, nothing else, you didn't deserve it, you didn't earn it. There's nothing you did to, to, to kind of strive towards it. It was because of his great mercy that we've been given new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. I love the fact that Peter was the first leader in the church because he screwed up at times. I relate to him. He kind of started out wanting to do the right thing. And some of you understand this. You want to live courageously for God. You want to do the right thing. You want to live differently. You know Peter's the guy who started walking on water with his eyes focused on Jesus, but then he got scared as he looked at the wind and the waves around him, and he started to sink like a stone. Peter was the guy in Matthew chapter 18. In one breath, he says, "Jesus, you—I don't care what anybody else who anybody else says you are—you are the Messiah. You're the Son of the Living God." And and Jesus says to him, "Only heaven." could have told you that. Only that could have been revealed from heaven. And then Jesus says, I'm going to have to die to actually save the world from their sins. And Peter says, no you don't. You're not going to suffer so that we get saved. And in the next breath, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Now Peter's the guy, the night before Jesus died, said, I'll never deny you, Jesus. Ever. And then before the clock strikes twelve... Three times Peter denies that he even knows who Jesus is. He screwed up. But we see in the life of Peter there is hope for the screw-ups in this world. There's hope for you and me. Because God is a God of great mercy. Now Jesus, after being denied by one of his best friends turns up on the beach when they've sort of walked away from their mission they've walked away from their purpose and they've gone back to fishing jesus turns up on the beach he cooks some brekkie and then peter comes to him and jesus says to peter peter do you love me he says yeah i love love you he says okay feed feed my lambs peter do you love me peter says yeah i just told you i I love you he says okay take care of my sheep and then a third time and it starts to click for peter Three times I denied knowing Jesus. Three times Jesus says, do you love me? Peter says, yeah, I love you. He says, okay, get on with your mission. Take care of my people. He restores Peter. He reinstates Peter to his calling, to his purpose, to his mission. If you're here tonight and you feel like, oh man, I keep trying to do the right thing. I keep trying to follow Jesus, but I keep screwing up. I keep messing up. God is a God of great mercy. He's a God of second chances. He calls you again to repent, and he will restore your soul, and he'll reinstate your purpose. Because of his great mercy you've been given new birth into a living hope and it can never be taken away from you. It's not something you've earned, it's not something you've deserved, it's something that you have been given. It is an inheritance. An inheritance isn't something you earn. It's something you're given because you belong to a family. For the last two weeks, my parents have been spending some of my inheritance on our family. They decided to spend it while they were still alive. And so they took us all to New Zealand. It was a wonderful, generous gift. This is our whole family, 20 of us in, uh, in New Zealand. It was, it was a fun time, generous gift. I couldn't have earned it, couldn't have deserved it. One of the really special things, other than you know Joey and Lies getting engaged, was that I got to baptise two of my nieces. They wanted to get baptised in Lake Wanaka. It was one and a half degrees. I said, I'm too old for that. I'll be seeing Jesus face to face really soon if i got to get in that lake. And so we, had, we found a hot tub on the side of a hill in New Zealand. And I got to stand with them. And I said, "You know, the real inheritance is really precious, and lasting that you're receiving here tonight is the inheritance of faith. Just like Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter one, he said, "I see the faith that once lived in your grandmother, Eunice, now, sorry, Lois, and now lives in your mother, Eunice, is also being passed on to you, and it's become real for you." I got to stand with those two girls and point to their grandparents and point to their parents the blessing of the inheritance of faith that is now theirs and in that strange place in a hot tub on the side of a hill in New Zealand they participated in the death and the resurrection of Jesus as they went down into that watery grave they participated in, in the suffering of Jesus on the cross and their sins were put to death and as they came up out of the water, they participated in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the new life that he has given us, the new life, the the eternal life that he has made away for every one of us. And they have an inheritance that is far greater than any material good that will be passed down from their parents or their grandparents. And it is an inheritance because of God's great mercy and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They have been given new birth into a living hope that will never die, never perish, never spoil, never fade. And if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you've received His mercy, you've repented of your sin and you've trusted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ then you too have an inheritance that you'll never lose. You might have screwed up from time to time but if you choose to repent and keep turning back to Jesus your future is secure in heaven. No one can take it from you. There's hope for the strangers in the world. There's hope for the screw-ups in this world. And there's hope for the suffering in this world. Peter says, In in, uh, all this you greatly rejoice, though for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. The people that Peter is writing to are suffering. Under, they're, they're walking through a literal fire. Now, Emperor Nero uh, actually blamed the Christians for a fire that went through Rome and destroyed half of Rome over three days. He needed to find a scapegoat, someone to blame. He blamed the Christians because well, they were already a little bit strange. And he decided to punish them. One of the ways that he punished them, besides throwing them to wild animals, was to turn them into human tortures. To burn them. Publicly. Brutally. These people were walking through fire. Peter knows it. He says, for a time you're going to suffer all kinds of trials. But I want to remind you, it's not just a physical file that some of your brothers and sisters are walking through. These trials are like a refiner's fire. God's actually going to do so good. He's so merciful. He's going to bring something good out of it. Just like when gold is heated up really, really hot, and the gold melts and it becomes pure, and all of the impurities rise to the surface. He's saying when you suffer, and at times, you will suffer in this world. You might have been listening to Anne tonight and going, I'm not quite sure what she's talking about. I haven't experienced that kind of suffering. And I hope you don't experience some of the kind of suffering she talked about. But there will be times, if you continue to follow Jesus, there'll be times where you suffer. It doesn't seem fair. And you've got to choose whether you're going to stand firm in your faith when it doesn't seem fair. What Peter is saying to these people who are going through something that was not fair, he says, if you stand firm in your faith, your faith will become pure. Some of the impurities will be taken out and your life will bring praise and glory and honour to Jesus on the day that you see him face to face. There's hope for the suffering in this world because one day in heaven you will be set free. And lastly, there's hope for those who have not seen Jesus in this world. There's lots, I love Peter, I love his book, I love this, Peter's stories because there's lots of similarities between us and Peter. I relate to him. I think many of us can relate to a character like Peter. But one of the differences is Peter actually saw Jesus. Saw him die, saw him resurrected. This is what he says, that last part that we read tonight. It says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This letter has been preserved for 2,000 years to help us persevere in a culture that's actually heading in a different direction, to help us persevere when we've made all sorts of mistakes, to help us persevere when we're walking through suffering. We have not seen Jesus, yet we love him. We have not seen Jesus, yet we believe in him. And he'll give us an inexpressible joy as we continue to look to him. So I finish tonight. I want to encourage you to keep eternity in sight. Just imagine that this rope is actually a picture, a timeline of eternity. If you can just take that rope a little bit further, Max... And just show us how long eternity actually is. Just keep going. Yeah, no, don't stop. Keep going out the door. (laughs) Keep. No, no, don't stop there. That's it. Keep walking into the dark. Yeah, over, over the fence. If you imagine, this rope is a timeline of all of eternity. No, okay, that'll do. (laughs) This little orange part here represents your life on earth. And the whole timeline of eternity, this little part, represents your life on earth. But often what we get stuck doing is focusing all our attention on this little part here. We focus all our time and attention on building wealth and possessions and making our lives comfortable. We focus all our time and attention on satisfying our needs, whether they be sexual or other. Thinking I've got to have as much fun as I possibly can in this little bit of time here. We focus on the mistakes that we've made and we beat ourselves up for the mistakes that we've made because all of our attention is this little part here when we suffer we just can't get past the suffering that we're walking through because it seems like it's going to last forever but it's not eternity is a very long time there's going to be a day when Jesus comes again and there will be no more suffering. There'll be no more screw-ups. There'll be a day we'll see Jesus face to face. Right now, we can't see him. But what we can do, and what Peter's encouraging us to do, is to live with the hope of heaven, to live with eternity in sight, and to do whatever we can right here, It'll have a big impact going on for all of eternity. To do whatever we can right here. To give glory and honour and praise to Jesus Christ, the living one, for all of eternity. Keep eternity in sight. Live a life focused on the hope of heaven come back Max there is hope for the strangers in this world because you are known in heaven and one day you're going to see him face to face there's hope for the screw ups in this world for those who screwed up in the past because your future is secure in heaven there's hope for the suffering in this world because one day you will be set free in heaven for all of eternity and there's hope for those who have not yet Seen Jesus but you love Him you believe Him anyway because that is what enables you to enjoy eternity with Him can we stand together tonight I want to pray for two groups of people down the front intentionally made it two groups people won't know what reason you're coming for God will I'm going to pray for both of you. I want to pray for those who are walking through the refiner's fire right now. And you need strength to endure. You're just coping. There's some of you here that are just coping. You're just holding on to faith. And you need strength to endure the fire that you're walking through. I'd love you just to come down tonight and say that's me. Just open your arms and say, God, God, give me strength. Fill my heart with hope. Romans, it says, the Holy Spirit fills us with an overflowing hope. I believe He wants to do that for some of us tonight. I also believe there's others that need to repent of just going with the flow of the culture sexually. Whether it be what you watch, the way that you talk, or the way that you use your body. And today's a new day. Today's a day of repentance. Today's a day of saying, I'm I'm choosing to turn from that behaviour, to turn to God, and to live differently. To live in a way that is not normal in the culture, but is pleasing to Jesus. As a team, just start to sing this song about heaven. About the day, it's going to be so good when we see him face to face. If you need to respond tonight, I'm just going to pray for you as a big group. Just start to come. Start to come. Just kneel, open your arms before Jesus. i Calling to live a holy life. Now, God is holy, He's calling you to be holy like He is holy. He's calling you to repent. Some of you need to move, some of you need to come and say, God, I'm giving you my all, I'm surrendering all. Come on, just begin to come as I pray. I want to encourage you if you're already down here, just kneel before Jesus as an act of surrender just open your arms what he wants to do is to take away your guilt and to give you hope he wants to take away shame and he wants to give you strength he wants to give you inexpressible joy for those of you who are going through a fire right now as you open up your arms tonight and say Jesus I'm holding on to you He's going to give you strength to endure. He's going to draw you into an intimacy. You see, what Jesus does is never about shame and guilt. It's never about just pulling your socks up and trying harder. It's always about surrendering ourselves to Him and allowing His Spirit to do in us what only He can do. For some of you, there's going to be an overflow of hope and peace and joy for the first time in a long time. Just open your arms tonight. Father God, come by the power of your Holy Spirit. and God, I pray, I pray that you would bring us to a place of repentance, God, a place of real change, a place where the way that we talk, the way that we think would be pure, the, the way that we use our bodies God would be pleasing to you God tonight I pray that as people just offer themselves to you that you would pour out your forgiveness your grace your mercy God wash away sin God make them light as snow renew a right spirit within them God, I pray that you would would give them hope for the future, that what has plagued them in the past wouldn't be what continues to hinder them in the future. God, there would be a a new strength to walk righteously, to, to walk in paths of righteousness. God, would you set free from addiction. God, set free from addiction to porn. God, set free. Set free thought life to actually think about what is pure and right and noble. God, where relationships need to stop and be broken, where, where repentance will actually mean a, a change in relationship, God, would you give wisdom and strength tonight to do that with, with grace and with truth. God, bless tonight. You're a God of blessing. Father, tonight I pray for those who are walking through a refiner's fire it doesn't seem fair. God, right now as they open their arms towards you, God, would you come by the power of your Holy Spirit and God, may they know grace and peace in abundance, God, may you be so close to them as they reach out to you. God, draw them closer to your heart that they might hear your heartbeat. They, they might hear your, your word of promise. God, they might hear your word of faith and encouragement tonight. That God, that you might give them strength to endure, to stand firm. And God, I pray that you would work all things together for good to those who love you, that have been called according to your purpose. God, would you bless these men and women tonight. God, would you fill them with the hope of heaven. I pray in Jesus' name. When you're ready, come on, let's all stand together and continue to sing this song. One day, one day, it's going to be a good day and it's going to last for all of eternity. We're going to stand before Jesus. There'll be no more suffering, no more sickness, no more pain. Let's declare it again. If you've got a friend down here you want to pray for, just come and pray for him. Come on, let's declare it again.
3: And on that day, we'll join the resurrection and stand beside the heroes of the faith and with one voice generations will sing worthy
2: In your heart to live differently. It's not going to be something that's going kind to of feel like someone's kind of you know twisting your arm up the back. Just as you fall in love with Jesus, there's going to be a desire you know to live a life that's pleasing to Him. Just uh, just sit in God's word this week. Can I encourage you if there's something significant that God was doing in your heart tonight? Tell someone, whether it's your life group leader, whether it's your youth pastor, young adults pastor. There are some mates that you need to start praying with. Just tell someone. Someone that can walk beside you, someone that you can keep accountable to. Just tell. Tell someone. And really encourage you. Come to Move Conference. Who's, who's coming to Move Conference? Yeah, I'm coming. I got it. It's my job. I don't know what God's going to do. We've never done this before. I'm just trusting God's going to move. We're just going to give him some space to move. And, and what I'm praying is there'll be a whole bunch of us here over the weekend that'll go, in 10 years' time, we'll go, oh, I was at the first ever MOVE conference. And God spoke to me powerfully. It yeah, transformed my life, changed the trajectory of my life, gave me vision for the future. I, I, that's what I'm tr- praying for. That's what I'm trusting that God's going to do as we just come before him and worship him. So I really encourage you to be here, get registered for Move Conference. Let's see what God continues to do in our midst. God bless. Have a great week.
0: We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.